0: I'm Mary McAleese, former President of Ireland from 1997 to 2011. When did I first become aware of an organisation that's just been part of the ether? It's very hard to it's very hard to pinpoint a time. I mean, I'm born in a maritime city, Belfast, and my parents then uh, moved en famille to a small. Uh, Maritime village, Rustrever, on the um, in Carlingford Loch. and I live on the shores of a, a lake on the Shannon. So, uh, water, watery, watery environments have been my element since childhood, and I just think I've always known it was there, as the standard bearer for safety uh, at sea. Um, I'm talking to you on a day when we are being whipped. Uh, we are being whipped by winds. And rain and it's pretty stormy out there so as soon as I see and hear the storm my mind always turns to well what's going on at sea I'm comfortable here I can go into the kitchen and make a cup of tea but there are people now who are getting phone calls who are getting you know whose alarms are going off and they're being told you have to muster we've got to go and help someone these are the volunteers with the RNLI and on goes the gear and out they go into weather that you wouldn't send a dog out into. But these human beings volunteer to go out into it. So I've always been aware of them. The RNLI is, from my money, it is the best exemplar of an organisation made up of volunteers who focus on a problem, who put aside all issues to do with uh, with. Borders, partitions, passports, whatever all the things are that identify us and identify us as different and with different rules applying. Here in the RNLI, one rule applies. Care for the human person. They're there to care. They're there to help. It's a strange thing to say as someone who was president for 14 years, and I, I did so many, so many events, visited so many, had so many wonderful days, had so many wonderful memories, but it would be true to say that the events that I did that were associated with the RNLI, they stay in my memory very strongly. And I think they stay in my memory for a lot of reasons. First of all, there is the color, the drama, the adventure, of the RNLI itself. I remember being in London, for example, um, on a very uh, important day in the history of the RNLI when I was given, I had the privileged position, you know, of giving certificates and medals on a very important day. And the pride that people took in, you know, in being there on that day. I remember that day in swords. I remember many other days around the country, you know, boat, boat launches or exhibitions or just simply visiting. But I also remember every summer, Going down to Valencia Island, uh, where my son-in-law is from, and his grandfather was the coxswain of the Valencia lifeboat, Um, Jeremiah O'Connell, after whom my eldest grandson is named. He's Charles Jeremiah. And, um, And a sea scout, may I say, as well. So there it is. It's in the blood, isn't it? But going down to Valencia Island, the very first thing practically you see when you come off the ferry from the mainland is the beautiful new lifeboat station, the RNLI lifeboat station. But right beside it, adjacent to it, is a gorgeous old stone-built, or very, very old, boathouse with the Valencia Slate roof. People will know Valencia Slate from Westminster and from St Paul's Cathedral. It's quite distinctive. But that old boathouse Um, when you open the massive big doors inside it there is this enormous big rowing boat a big wooden clinker built boat Uh, even the oars are heavy and I look at that and I I, so I'm able to contrast that boat that lifeboat volunteers went out in in 35 foot waves you know an open rowboat in Jeremiah O'Connell's time and I compare that now with the wonderful um, uh, the wonderful boats that are available now to the RNLI, and the training they have and the equipment they have and the best of everything that they have. Back in Jeremiah's day, that was not the case. As you would see, if you go into the old boat house, it's a, you know, you can just walk into it, and there it is. It hasn't been dusted probably you know in 150 years. It certainly looks like it hasn't. And you're looking at the raw material that these volunteers went out in before the days of super sophistication came along. And thank God we have now, and the RNLI volunteers have available to them, the best of equipment, the best of boats, because wouldn't it be sinful if we still expected them to go out, you know, with the worst of equipment just because they're volunteers. We rely on them so desperately. So I think when I visited and when I do visit the RNLI lifeboat stations, Um, I'm almost just overwhelmed by the decency and the courage of these people you'd be in awe of them you're standing looking at yes the lovely boats and the nice equipment but it's still frail enough when you contrast it with what the sea can do to people and what it has done to people and what it demands of the RNLI on a day whenever they are needed so I don't think it's any mystery why uh, the many visits that I made over the years to the RNLI, they stay in my mind. They stay deep in my mind because I know that on that day that they are needed. The rest of us head for the duvets and the hot chocolate and the fire and they, God help them, say, come on, we've work to do and they have to get out there. And whatever that problem is, they have to solve it. They have to save the people. Is it somebody who's taken ill on a ship? Is it somebody is it somebody who needs to be rescued? Is it a horde of people who need to be rescued? Is it a mounting tragedy of gargantuan proportions? They have to head into that. And they have to bring back people as safely as they possibly can. And they've also got to bring the crew back safely. So the level, you know, the sheer level of excellence of expertise, of courage, of calm that we expect of our RNLI Lifeboat volunteers. It's, it's extraordinary. And when you're in their company, they just exude such energy. They are people of real energy, but also I think you know, of extraordinary passion. If I look back on all the things I would love to have done with my life and in my life, to be able to be part of that that camaraderie, that caring, that extraordinary experience and adventure that is the RNLI, that would be on my that would be on my retrospective bucket list. It would be very high up. but I would. I was never a great swimmer, unfortunately. My kids are all much more comfortable in the water than I am. They're all rowers. I had a daughter who was uh, did a bit of sailing as well. My grandson is a sea scout, and I still remember. Um, when last year when he was eight years old and he he made his pledge just that feeling that oh here's another generation who comes from generations of seafaring people you know from Valencia Island who comes from who's got the DNA of Jeremiah O'Connell I just I'd love to have had that opportunity and I'm just glad that there were an awful lot more people who weren't as cowardly as I was (laughs) people who had much more courage much better range of just of skills and experience to be able to offer to the RNLI. So, yes, I would love, oh gosh, how I would love if I had my life to live the other way back. I certainly would. I'd be out there if I could. Hello, it's Phil Culture here. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices Collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org 200 Voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. 200 Voices is produced for the RNLI by Adventurous Audio Limited.